couple of days later, I sidelined Jess, and I said, hey, Nick told me my passage is on humility. Are you sure that's right? Um, and she said, yeah, it's a great passage for you. And I said, no, it's not, because pride is the root sin, it's the comp- companion of humility, you know, the thing that you don't want to do. And that's what I always struggle with. Like every Bible study I've done, everything that digs deep about what are your issues, pride. Every time I do something, it's like pride. It's like, I do not feel equipped to speak on humility. And Jess said, oh, I think you got it. You you got it. Just do it. You know, if you want another week, we can move you in the thing. So as I was praying about that, that very week, I was doing a a webinar with Jess for ministry leaders. And in the midst of the webinar, I was coaching these young women in ministry. And I said, you know, the main thing is you've got to stay under the vision of your senior pastor. You've got to be under the vision of the house. You can't have your own agenda. And as I spoke those words, I was like, hmm, I'm busted. Like my (laughs) pastor has laid out a series that he feels very confident in, and I don't even want to do my part in it. So I humbled myself to say, okay, maybe I'm supposed to dig into this passage, see what God is going to teach me, and it's been quite the ride. So I will just tell you a little bit about that starting out. Um, On Sunday night last week, I had already gotten the passage out, felt like God was leading me in a certain direction. And then the middle of the night, I woke up with vertigo. Has anybody in here ever had vertigo? It's like 2% of the population, so I don't expect that you have. But I woke up basically at 3 in the morning, and if you have never had it, it feels like you're on a very small ship in the middle of a hurricane. You know, that's the best way I can describe it. The whole room is spinning. It, your equilibrium is completely gone. And you get a little bit nauseous. Well, I'd had it one time before a year ago, and I knew not to try to move because I'd done that last year, and that didn't go very well for me. So I just kind of laid there. But immediately the next day, as I'm, like, immobile on the couch and just sitting up still so that I don't move anything, I called my physical therapist who had helped me correct it last year, But it took several weeks for her to do that. And I just was locked up in fear about speaking this weekend. But our pastor family was in California. I didn't want to trouble them or worry them. And I just laid on the couch, really, for about three hours and prayed until I could get to my physical therapist on Tuesday. Well, the good news is she did correct it. There were a lot of prayers that went up for me. God corrected it. And I'm able to stand, literally, before you today um, on two feet. So thanks, God, for that. Yes. (laughs) To give you a little bit of a recap about the series that we're in, it's called The Beginner's Guide to a Full Life. And on week one, Pastor Nick talked to us about vision, how we need vision for our life. If you didn't hear that one, if you didn't hear any of these, go on the iTunes podcast or wherever, the Google podcast, wherever you can find it and listen to them because it's really rich with good teaching. So the first week he talked to us about vision. The second week he talked to us about loving people well. And man, that one's convicting, wasn't it? Like how to really love people as to, in order to have a full life. And then the third week, Jess talked about courage to live. Again, another amazing sermon. So go back and listen to those if you hadn't. But this week, I've already told you, is humility. So in the passage, we're going to look at it in a minute, 
but it's in Philippians 2, if you want to look on, on your version or on your Bibles, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. I was immediately curious about why Paul was writing to the people of Philippi about humility. Now, Pastor Nick had already set us up in week one by telling us the when around Paul's life, that Paul was in prison writing this. It was near the end of his life. So we know the when and, you know, and kind of the what of uh, the who of Paul, but I wanted to know the who of the people. Like, who is he writing to? I was really curious about why Philippi? You know, why was he talking to them about humility? So I did some um, digging into the culture and the people of ancient Philippi, and I found a great visual for all of us in this short video clip. So I'm going to let you have a little video time. Forests, located to the north of ancient Greece. Its name, possibly meaning highlands in Greek, seems to match its geography. In the 4th century BC, the Macedonian region was made famous by King Philip II and his world-conquering son, Alexander the Great. It was Alexander the Great who spread the Greek language and culture over much of what would become the eastern part of the Roman Empire. This had a lasting impact on early Christian history, since Greek was the common language used for the books and letters of the New Testament. Rome ultimately defeated the Macedonians and reorganized this entire area into a Roman province. Today, Macedonia is the largest and second most populous region in Greece. Historical side note, the ancient province of Macedonia should not be confused with the new European country of Macedonia just north of us. That country, known as the Republic of Macedonia, was formed in 1991 when it declared independence from Yugoslavia. Okay, returning to Luke's account in Acts. From Neapolis, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of the first district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days, Acts 16, 12. This is Philippi of Macedonia. Now, Philippi hit the map in 356 BC when Philip II, Alexander the Great's father, conquered the city and renamed it Philippi in honor of, well, himself. I guess you can see where young Alex got his humble demeanor. It was a wealthy city strategically placed on the primary trade route between Byzantium and Rome with a nearby port in Neapolis, which we just visited. In addition to agriculture, the surrounding areas around Philippi were known for its gold and gem mines. As a city of the Roman Empire, Philippi had many of the same features we saw at the Roman cities in Asia province. It had a forum, an agora or marketplace, aqueduct, baths, mini gymnasium, library, and a variety of temples to mythological gods and Roman emperors. So that's just a snapshot. I could have played much more of it, but I was trying um, to appease the historians in the room, like my husband and Jolie, maybe, but also not to overwhelm us with like too much teaching about uh, Philippi. But if you if you picked up on things in there that I did, arts, sports, education, language, all of those things made this such a rich culture. It was a very advanced culture. 
in so many ways, there was more opulence there um, than other cities, but there was also, because of that, a greater inequality in the church. And the ancient Greeks considered lowliness of mind that we're going to learn about what is what Paul was writing about to be a fault, not a virtue. You know, they, they thought that was not something to be acquired, lowliness of mind. Well, I think we can relate to this in Charleston, South Carolina, can't we? I mean, I can almost hear the travelogue going on in my head about this area, one of the oldest cities in America, rich with history and arts, one of the top 25 cities to visit in America, the epicenter of tourism. There's a certain high-mindedness that comes with that kind of magnetism and appeal, not to mention the emphasis we have on education here because we're at the hub of so many medical centers. So now that we know the context, the who and the why, Paul was writing to the Philippians, let's dig more into the actual words. In this passage, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, also being a wordsmith, someone who really loves words and language, the roots of language, I looked up the original Greek for Paul's definition of humility. I'm going to get you to read this um, word, this Greek word, with me. So give it a minute to look at it phonetically. Tapenofrusune. Can you say that? Tapenofrusune. That's the word for humility that Paul was writing about. And the definition is having a humble opinion of oneself or lowliness of mind. So remember that lowliness of mind. This to me brings clarity to Paul's definition of humility. So now we've got the when, the where, and the what. Who was his example in the teaching? Well, it was Jesus, right? In, you know, when he's in several parts of that passage, Jesus being the very nature of God, Jesus being found in appearance of man, Jesus obedient to death. If we break it down, there's four ways Paul is teaching us that Jesus practiced humility. These four ways, the first one is self-renunciation versus self-exalting. He did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. You know, I want us to think about some real examples of how Jesus did this. When I think about Jesus as a child, you know, he had to learn to eat and drink, right? You think about that. He was fully God and fully man, but he had to learn as a toddler probably how to drink and how to eat food when he could have just skipped over that step. He had to learn to obey his parents. As a teenager, he worked in his dad's carpenter shop. Can you imagine being his dad handing him a hammer and a chisel and Jesus thinking, well, I could make a table real quick, you know? But he didn't. He learned the trade. 
He learned the trade of his father. As an adult, he went in the desert for 40 years and fasted. 40 days, sorry. 40 years, that would have been longer than his life. But he went 40 days and he fasted. And he could have produced food from anywhere. You know, Satan even tempted him during that time. You know, make this this rock into a piece of bread. But he didn't. He was fully human. The second example Paul gives us is self-emptying versus self-inflating. Again, he made himself nothing. When he could have been royalty, he could have been the highest of the highest, the king of kings. And one example that comes to mind for that is, is like Queen Elizabeth, who's almost 94. But Queen Elizabeth, if we saw her cleaning her own toilets or preparing a meal for her, her servants or even doing her own laundry... That's the kind of thing that Jesus did every day in his life. That's why he's such a good example for us. But we forget because he made himself fully man all the ways that he did empty himself daily. The third one is self-forgetful versus self-determining. Again, this describes how he took on the limits of, of human flesh. He had the mind of God, but he operated on a very human level uh, the example that came to mind for that for me is the Last Supper. He was trying so hard to get those disciples to get the picture, right? He even said during the Last Supper some things like, this will be the last time that I will drink of this you know, fruit of the vine. And they didn't get it. He could have laid out a calendar and said, look, boys, it's going to be this, this, and this. This is how it's going to go down. But he didn't. He spoke to them in parables and allegories and, you know, illustrations because he was on their level. He was trying not to be God here on earth. The last example is sacrificial living. He was a servant to death. He could have done any death, but he did the most severe death on a cross. He had complete dependence on his father God up until the last minute. So what does this mean to us? Okay, we've already established there's some real comparisons to ancient Philippi and present-day Charleston, right? Then we have the whole internet piece that they didn't have. We're very Google-rich, right? So knowledge is very much a part of our culture. Can you imagine the people of Philippi if they posted their photos on Instagram or tagged someone during a sporting event? How much more high-minded they would have been? So everything about our culture and everything that's around us in Charleston speaks of knowledge, self-knowledge, or high-mindedness. And that's what Paul was writing to them about in Philippi. But he could have been saying those same words to us, right? Let's assume that he is for a minute. How do we shift the culture? If that's the culture, if that's what's around us, if that's in and through us all the time, well, I thought of a few ways that I think that we can do some of the four things that Jesus did in our present-day scenario. On um, the self-renunciating or self-exalting, we can be a learner, right? We can consider others before ourselves. Know that everyone has a story. Everyone wants to be heard. I shared with uh, some of the women leaders this week. I had a humbling experience with that. I went to speak at an event in Colombia and had a very 
strong timeline about getting in the car and getting back and leaving the place by 8.30. And 8.30, I had my bags. I was ready to go. I was ready to walk out. And this sweet young woman came up to me with just tears on her face. And thankfully, God had been teaching me and working on me in this area about being present and listening and, and hearing people's stories. So I kind of dropped my bags and was like, okay, God, you have got this timeline I just listened to her story. I just listened to what was on her heart. And sure enough, God covered all the timeline after that. I'm sure that, um, you know, for many of us, that we attend conferences, right? Many of you probably attend medical conferences or teaching conferences, um, training seminars. What if every time you walked into one of those, you took on the attitude of teacher even when you weren't teaching? You know, what if... As you walked into a seminar, you didn't want to learn anything. You don't do that. We go into things to learn. We want to be learners. So I think we just need to take that posture of learning into every scenario that we go into, not just seminars, not just training, but be learners from other people and from what God is showing us all around us. The second way I think that we can be counterculture um, is to be a listener like I was talking about with the woman who had a story, but what if in this culture of social media and how many likes you can get, that we like took the challenge and for a whole day just commented on people's posts, that we really listened to what's going on in their hearts and that we made an effort to really know the person behind the post instead of thinking about our own agenda. What if we text somebody who's really been on our mind, that somebody's been, God's been bringing to your mind, and, and I had that happen to me this week from several of the women here. It was so just encouraging to know that they were thinking about me. They were thinking about what's going on with me, and I had not prompted that in any way, but that text just like warmed my whole day. What if you, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody before you wait on them to call you? As Jess says many times in her talks, we go first. So let's go first instead of um, in being a listener and in being really affirming people where they're at. And then the third way I think that we can be counterculture is to be selfless. I was trying to use the L's there. So selfless in the way that we serve and the way that we li you know, live with other people. You know, Jesus did this by washing the feet of his servants. And we, we do that around here, but when I think about selfless people at Bright City, here's some examples I think about. I think about Tom Mask, who is head of all our finances, and nobody really knows that, but another thing you don't know about Tom is he fixes cars for people. Like, that's not part of his job. He has a full-time job, he, and then he has a volunteer job here at Bright City. But if there's a broken down car, or if there's a need with somebody's car, he goes over and helps them. Or if they are struggling with their budget, Tom and Jolie will sit down and help them with their budget. That's way selfless, isn't it? It's above and beyond all the things on their plate, all the things that God has given them. Another example is Lauren Pavo who leads our kids, our bright kids every week, and that is part of her role here. But Lauren also writes all the curriculum for our kids. That's pretty selfless, isn't it? Nobody gets a shout out for that, and nobody, you know, gives her a lot of praise. She's not, you know, getting the applause for that, but it's very selfless. 
Or I've also heard about, haven't experienced this, some yummy dinners that Kim Nichols prepares for their small group. If you haven't been to their small group, I've heard that Kim prepares a meal every time you go. And that's not on the Food Network, right? There's nothing about what Kim does that's part of her role or part of her job as a nurse in her medical profession, but she loves to serve, and she obviously loves to cook. So there's a lot of ways that we can be selfless. Or what about Chase and Bethany, who have taken on leadership for Alpha every Monday night? They set up tables and chairs. They do emails. They're like constantly trying to make this environment right for the people who walk in the doors on Monday night. You know, what if we all did some sacrificial giving, some sacrificial living, and we're selfless in the way that we serve the people in our circles of influence, behind the scenes, where nobody ever sees it? You know, what if we did that? What, what if we all did it just one time this week? What if this became our Lent offering of sacrifice? Instead of saying, I'm going to give up chocolate, we say, I'm going to give up myself. I'm going to serve others. You know, can you imagine what people would be saying about the people of Bright City if this was going on and they knew that it was because we're the body of Christ here serving all over this city? They might say, those Bright City people, they are not high-minded They are low-minded. They are learners. They are listeners. They are selfless. And so Paul was trying to take down that concept of high-mindedness. And what it means really is that we consider our minds to be above God. And so I think the more we have the tools we need, we can conquer whatever is before us. You know, but we also always need to remember that God's got it, that he's the God of the universe. When I had my episode with Vertigo last week, I was in the midst of crafting this message, and I had my entire week scheduled out. But all of a sudden, I was spinning out of control. I knew it was going to be several weeks probably before this was righted. And I couldn't even read my Bible. I couldn't even type anything on my laptop because of the spinning effect. And as a matter of fact, because I'd done the research last year when I got vertigo, I knew the ENT that I saw last year said, you know, it's just an amazing illness that nobody seems to know how it happens, but it's just these intricately designed crystals that get out of place at the back of your skull. She said, it's really beautiful the way God designed it. I was like, yeah, it's beautiful when you're not spinning. So I've got a diagram for all of you who are somewhat medical already know about this, but it's these little crystals at the bottom and I've got actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read so I don't mess it up for those of you who really know what I'm talking about. It's called BPPV. It's a mechanical problem in the inner ear. It occurs when some of the crystals that are normally embedded in the utricle become dislodged and migrate into one or more of the three canals where they're not supposed to be. When enough of these particles accumulate in one of the canals, they interfere with the normal fluid movement and that the, that the canals used to sense head motion, causing the inner ear nerve endings to get excited and to send false signals to the brain. It tells the brain that the head is moving, even though it's not. And so this false information doesn't match with what the other ear is sensing, with what the eyes are seeing, or what the muscles and joints are doing. And this mismatched information is perceived by the brain as a spinning sensation or vertigo. Well, people, medicine, my hats are off to you. Doctors, PTs, 
PAs, nurses, I'm sure you've seen many examples of the creator God in our human body, right? But this one really astounds me. I mean, a God that created little crystals right there to, to determine our balance all the time, and just one of them can get off. It just astounds me. And of course, it provided me with a great teaching illustration on humility, because just like this inner ear problem of vertigo, our souls are created to operate perfectly. Our souls are, are created and modeled after the only one who created us. So perfectly modeled, we should be operating in all the ways that, that, that model Jesus. But we live in a world where information and comparisons bombard us almost daily, if not hourly. When our souls receive these false signals, promote yourself, blow your own horn. Inflate yourself, no one else will. Make it happen. When that happens, our souls react with our emotions, and the person we portray to others is not the person we were created to be. We were created to be just like Jesus, not what the false signals tell us. And, you know, it's going to be countercultural to change that, but it's worth the effort, I think. And not only that, it's actually exhausting to try to keep attaining what the world tells us is success. So that's where I found the real lesson to this passage on having a full life with humility. Resting on my couch while my head was spinning and from a passage that I knew all too well but I'd never really paid full attention to. And it's one that I'm sure all of you know too. But let's look at Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because what? I am humble. I'd never seen that part in there. I've always gone for the rest part. I've always gone for, take my yoke upon you. But then he said he could do this because he's humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We carry heavy burdens because we haven't followed the teacher's example. I want to follow in his footsteps, don't you? I want a full life, don't you? Let's follow him by being learners, by being listeners, and by being selfless. It's countercultural, people of Bright City, but that's one revolution I'm going to sign up for. How about you? So good. Thank you so much, Mom. Here's the thing about humility that I'm super grateful for, that not even just about humility, but about God that I'm super grateful for, that he makes his way, this way of Jesus, this way of the bright, he makes it simple enough for us to wrap our heads around it a little bit. It's mysterious and it's wild and it's upside down. But specifically when I think about humility, you know, if someone, most of us, if someone sat us down and said, hey, I'm gonna offer you two options. You can have a life where you're just wildly successful and you get a lot done and everybody thinks you're really smart or everybody thinks you're really special or you can have a life where you love people really well and you're poured out every single day 
to serve others and you have massive impact just by loving them. I think most of us, like, we might be like, well, bummer about the success, but like, yeah, I want to be poured out. The cool thing about the kingdom is that it's not A or B. It's not one or the other. God might call you to be wildly successful and humble in your success. He might call you to be super impactful and um, crazy wealthy so that you can be generous and give your money away. He might do that, but, but there's still this kind of option of which way we want to point. And it's sort of a simple question. Like, do you want to love and serve others? Do you want to follow the way of Jesus? Do you want to pick up this lower-minded version of yourself and a higher version of him? Or do you want to point towards making a life that makes you look great and leaves people in awe of you and maybe less in awe of God? And I think the cool thing is it's, it's simple enough for us to just pause And I love those steps of like listening, learning, selflessness that we can all probably find one. Like mine is for sure the listening. (laughs) I love to talk. Listening is not my strong suit, but I think all of us can kind of pause and say like, okay, I love that Jesus is like this. I love that he invites us on his way. I love that moving down this path leads to more abundance for us, but also more abundance for other people. And I can, I can listen to one of those three or two of those three or three of those three and, and see some ways for me to move forward. I love that he makes it that simple and clear for us. But I also know for some of us, maybe a lot of this doesn't make sense. Or maybe a lot of this feels new or fresh because we have not started with the very, very, very first humble, simple act of saying we need Jesus. And a lot of this I will tell you if you are new to God or if you're not new to God, but you've never taken that first step of saying like, I need God. It's the ultimate first humble act that makes everything else make sense. If you've never taken that first humble step of saying like, I I might not understand all of this, but I know that I need help and I wanna do it your way, we might need to do that here this morning. So I'm gonna have a time of prayer and I'm gonna encourage you guys to think through maybe the listening, the learning, the selflessness, but also I'm gonna have a moment there for any of you guys who think like, you know what? I haven't taken that first step with Jesus. I haven't, I haven't done the first humble thing of saying, I want to know you. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So let's pray and let's close our eyes. Father, we are grateful for your Holy Spirit. We're grateful for the ways you prick our hearts and move in us and let us know what it is that we need, where we need to direct our gaze. And so right now, we just, we do come humbled. We come acknowledging that we are not you. We are not wise on our own, even those of us who are wise in the world. We don't understand everything. We can't do everything in our own power. We have to follow you. We need you. 
Would you make us better listeners to your word, to our leaders? Would you make us better listeners with our friends and with our kids and with our coworkers? Would you stir up compassion and curiosity in us so we can hear other people and care about what they're saying? Father, would you make us better learners? Would you make us hungry to know you, hungry to know truth? Would you make us hungry to know more about how we can serve and lead and love in this world? We just put down any desire that we have to be seen as knowledgeable, but we do want knowledge because we want to use it for your glory and the good of others. God, would you give us some ideas right now by the power of the Holy Spirit of ways that we need to walk in some selflessness. That we need to put down our own ambition or our own desires or our own comfort and just love other people, just serve other people. Would you give us ideas of that right now? And Father, we want to take a minute for any of our friends who may not have done the first humble act of saying, I need God. We want to pray for them. We want to give them space to acknowledge their need for you, to acknowledge their desire to walk with you, to say, I don't have all this figured out, but I believe that I need God and I believe that Jesus is the way. I want to invite anyone who may be needing to pray through that right now, just with everybody else's eyes closed, that if that's you and you need to take that first humble step, you can just raise your hand right now. We just want to see so we can be praying with you. If you're acknowledging that you want to walk with God but have never started that journey, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so grateful. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for a moment to check our hearts, to pause, to be corrected by you in the most loving way because this is what we want, humbled lives that are used for your glory. This is what we want, to be like Jesus because he gave us the opportunity to do that. It's in your name that we pray, amen.